The Evolve to Succeed podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders, and experts are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. We will also investigate and establish the need for ongoing personal development, accountability, and support. The objective is to inspire you, the audience, to be better in life and in business. Hello, I am Warren Munson, founder of Inspire and Evolve, and my guest on this week's podcast is Adam Matten, founder of WeMove. Among other things in this episode, we'll hear about Adam's humble beginnings as the Mad Hatter at an Alice in Wonderland theme park. Um, certainly, probably, actually, ironically, the most diverse role I've ever done. What made him break away from a comfortable existence and try something different? Eight years in, you know, I had the house and, you know, and a reasonable car, you know, don't get me wrong, I wasn't balling, but, you know, I was comfortable, um, but not content. And I think there's, you know, there's a massive difference between that. Some people are fine being comfortable, but this, like, lack of contentment was, was a problem for me. The competitive spirit that inspired him to set off on his own journey. I think I always had a desire to, you know, like Alex Shepard said, to be the best you can sort of be, you know, and although it sounds a bit sort of, fluffy it was almost like right if we're going to do something if we're going to play a board game in the family i want to win this you know if i'm playing a game of football i want to you know i want to be the, the best player on the team and what drove him to bring some disruption into the removals industry i'm passionate about business and, and removals give me the great vehicle to do that i saw it as a industry that is old-fashioned outdated you know there was almost this stigma attached to it of a beat out old transit van with a couple of like beer belly men they're going to you know show up and lug your furniture around and, and i felt like i could create something different let's get on with the show hello hello adam matten good morning warren welcome to the evolve to succeed podcast Pleasure, pleasure to have me. I feel like we should probably start with a disclaimer, like having listened to the podcast, you've got some fantastic speakers on there, certainly people that, you know, on a business wise, I put well above myself. Um, and I make my only hope is that you've actually recorded a couple, you know, before they go live before this one, uh, maybe you've interviewed your postman or something, because, you know, as I said, it was like a, a real sort of privilege to be here, to be fair, looking at the people you've had in so far. Well, you're being very humble, Adam. And as the listeners will hear during the course of the interview, you've got a great story to tell with some great lessons to learn. And actually, one of the reasons you're here is I've bumped into you from time to time, heard snippets about your journey, but don't know it all. So I'm really interested today to hear. But actually, it was the Evolve team that said, we're talking about potential guests, and they all three of them went, get Adam on. So here you are. So you've been hyped up, actually. Yeah, again, but I think, and I talked to briefly with Oliver in the week, you know, from Evolve, and, and he talked to me, and he's like, you remember you were telling us about in your car? I was like, I remember I'd had a couple of beers, because it was a, the, the Wicked uh, event last year at the Tutton Glen, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, with the fantastic beef, and I had, had a couple of drinks. So hopefully, um, you know, I'll be, you know, as entertaining. Well, we should, should have supplied you with some beer, but we haven't. You got a coffee Yeah, instead. I got a coffee. I got my water. So we should be fine. Perfect. So I just um, tend to want to start the discussion with a little bit about kind of your background. So where did you grow up? What was so, your first job? That kind of stuff. Yeah, so uh, I grew up locally. So okay. I'm a Bournemouth lad. Um, always been uh, a Bournemouth lad. Um, but there's, you know, more on that in a second because I have, you know, lived abroad, which I know you know a little bit about. Yeah. Um, first job, um, totally unusual. I worked as the Mad Hatter at Alice in Wonderland. Um, so what a way to introduce myself to, you know, the, the working yeah. place. Um, certainly probably actually ironically the most diverse role I've ever done um, so yeah I would literally be dressed as a mad hatter as the, the kids would come in in the morning um, you'd greet them you'd show them around the park um, you would help them when they got lost in the maze um, you'd do two shows a day um, in front of sort of 50 sort of screaming kids yeah um, and yeah so that was you know my 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 first you know my first job okay. my first sort of sort of uh, yeah when I was at college I was studying performing arts and, and drama at the oh, time at college okay. yeah yeah total you know curve wow away. so that's a real um, diverse place to where you've ended up it, it, it was yeah I think I, when I realized yeah. I couldn't when I when I realized <laughs> I couldn't act I think that was you know probably a fundamental <laughs> flaw to the uh to heading towards an Oscar your limit was the Mad Hatter was it yeah yeah that was it you know and it got some really rave reviews and some horrible reviews so yeah so so you know that was you know I think at the time you get, have that difficult spell, don't you, sort of following yeah. school where if you don't know exactly what you want to do, and then sometimes you choose something that actually, okay, maybe it's just something I enjoy, and I enjoy, I enjoy drama and that at school, um, you know, and it was a very sort of that yeah. sort of like, you know, 
late nineties, early sort of zeros, where sort of you know that sort of pop culture is like, like doing a bit of singing and this sort of pop idol, yeah. um, you know, type shows were popping up. I've got I an thought, image maybe, of you wanting to be in a boy band now, so I need to shake that off I, for the rest of the massively, podcast. Especially if you look at my hair now, no more spiky, horrible hair <laughs> yeah. full of gel. It's you know, it's, yeah. cut right back. So, but then you ended up at LV, which is one of the large local sort of financial service employers. Is that? Right. That's right, yeah. So I had a, numerous jobs in between then, uh, mainly when I was at college and that. Um, and, and then, yeah, started at LV. And at, at the time, um, like very much, you know, what you call sort of bottom of the you know the run. You know, I came in at entry level. I had no sort of previous financial services skills. So I went into the call center okay, um, where I was doing, um, answering the phone, servicing motor policies. So, you know, you've changed your car, you've changed your address, et cetera. You'd ring yeah. up, um, you know, and get myself. And, you know, I would guide you sort of through that process. Um I spent eight years in total. Uh, okay. So yeah, so um, you know, uh, long long time there. To be fair, like a huge part actually. And if you look, I'm 35 now. A huge part of my working life was there. Um, um, but I did a you know a huge range of, of roles there. To be honest, I started in that, and I think I was always some someone you know. And I think this probably fits very much with that. You know, you know, while I was destined to ultimately probably one day start my own thing. Yeah. Um, from day one, it was like two months in. It's like, right, I've got this now. I was like, OK, can I do the household one? You know, if people are in a household, OK, yeah, we'll train you in that. Did that. And then I was like, OK, what can I do next? Cause like, I, I kind of understand this. Could I train the people that are doing this that are coming in? That like, OK, yeah, you can do that. And I think I ha- always had that mindset that wanting to learn and that wanting to develop and, and sort of progress, um, which could be a real pain, I think, often for my managers at the time. Um, yeah. you know, but that need to progress. So ultimately I ended up in a, in a risk management role, okay. um, you know, specializing in anti-bribery and corruption, which was a, a really good, you know, in terms of sort of a career progression, um, in 2011, the bribery act came in and, you know, so actually the potential for, you know, going much further in that career w- was there. Yeah. Um, but it just wasn't something that, you know, I was passionate okay, about. Okay. But there's going to be a big, big, but then. So what then made you decide to go off and do something different? Yeah. So, um, you know, Eight, eight years in, you know, I had, you know, um, the house and, you know, and, and a reasonable car, you know, don't get me wrong, I wasn't, you know, balling, but, you know, I was comfortable, um, but not content. And I think there's, a, you know, there's a massive difference between that. Some people are fine being comfortable, but this like lack of contentment was, you know, was a problem for me. Yeah. Um, I knew I wanted to travel and I wanted to see a bit more of the world, you know, in my early sort of 20s, it was, you know, Cavos and Ibiza with the lads, which, you know, not, you know, whilst fun, not particularly cultural. So I I kind of uh, had this desire to, to, to see the world. But at the time I had, you know, a mortgage to pay and I had responsibilities and and I couldn't just go off and, and, and travel the world. So I was like, hey, I need... I need a way that I can travel, but also have some sort of income at the same time. Okay. And that's when I come across TEFL. Okay. Teach English as a foreign language. Okay. Um, yeah. So I sort of, uh, you know, it was a very quick decision, really. I was like, one day I was like, I'll tell you what, I'm going to do this. And I remember saying to my manager in the pub, you know, we had a good relationship at the time. I said, look, I think I'm going to take a career break and I'm just going to get this TEFL and I'm going to travel. Okay. Um, and then I kind of, yeah. So how many weeks between kind of thinking I'm a bit disenfranchised here? want to do something different, want to travel to being somewhere else in the world? I think it was about, probably about eight to ten weeks. Okay, relatively short period. Yeah, yeah, between making that decision and landing in China, which is where I chose. Um, okay. Yeah. Why China? So I get this question a lot because people have this like almost inherent fear of China. Yeah. Um, not that people don't go there, but it's certainly if you asked, you know, 50 friends who travel to Asia where they've gone, you'd probably get 45 of them, say Thailand. Yeah. Maybe a couple, the Philippines, etc. cetera, um, Vietnam. And, and for me, uh, again, it's sort of back to the element of challenge. Um, I saw, you know, if I went to Thailand, although I feel like I'd have a lot of fun, I wouldn't necessarily get the same challenge as I would. It's okay. almost, I see Thailand almost it's so westernized yeah. to a certain extent. There's that um, real, I, I really felt like I would be comfortable there. Um, and that's, and I really wanted to sort of broaden my horizons and, and, you know, break out of some of my comfort zones. And I felt like China gave me that. There was such a huge, you know, there's a language barrier and there's a massive cultural difference um you know for that reason it was the biggest challenge and that's purely what my decision was based on i can remember going out to china and and um i think i might have mentioned it on a previous podcast but you know to do some business with some clients out there and to seek some opportunities and you know stating the obvious but that shock to the system is terrible land Mm -hmm. and it is the culture is different the way they want to do business is different yeah, you know, there's the obvious things in any foreign country, but it's just this kind of different way of life. Yeah, it's so it's so diverse, and the first two weeks were so so hard. Yeah. So I was teaching, and and to TEFL, you there's such a 
range of ways in which you can become, let's put qualified inverted commas, yeah. um, you know, from literally a, a 20 hour online course and then you're a teacher to like, you know, six month like CELTA and Delta programs where you get much more comprehensive, which is still nowhere near what the, you know, the training you have to go through to be a, a qualified teacher yeah. in, in, say, England. Um, and I was so vastly underprepared, you know, and I, I didn't you know, account for that. I'd spent... You know, I, I did a combination. So I'd done like 100 hours online and a weekend in Southampton on a training course, right? So I was like, hey, middle of the road. It's a, yeah. what I could afford at the time. I felt it was comprehensive enough, but it was just so far from what I needed to be able to do. So we had this sort of cultural, you know, and, and, and this sort of cultural difference and this loneliness almost where I, I flew in on my own with not knowing anyone, not being able to speak to hardly anyone. And then this huge issue with the fact I couldn't teach at all you yeah. know and I thought yeah I'm great with kids you know I'd been the mad hatter this is gonna be <laughs> a breeze right you know worst case I'll dress up and put a big a big hat on um but it just wasn't anything like that you know I was underprepared which you know maybe we'll touch on later from yeah. a business perspective the failures of being under I now have my second vision of you which is Mr Poppy Oh yes, just watch that. I'm ugly. My I, I love that character. My partner, not not so much, but yeah, <laughs> yeah got you. probably very much that. You know, the silliness, and I thought that I, that would get me through, right? And I could be silly, and I could engage them, and and, and whilst that got me some great plaudits from my time there, there was much more to it, you know? I didn't know how to make a proper lesson plan. I didn't know how to engage the kids. I didn't know how to get them to behave. And that was really, really tough during the first weeks. I struggled and I remember talking to a good friend of mine who who lives in Oz and, and messaging her and saying, maybe I'll just come there. Maybe I'll come and, and stay like near you and I can just, I can get a job in a call center and do something I'm comfortable with because this is, you know, this is hard and I'm sort of struggling here. But, but I didn't, you know, I, I persevered, which is, you know, probably a, a very much a big part of, I guess, my nature, that sort of perseverance element. Um, and it was just the most fantastic year, you know, from there. So you I spent really, a year there. Whereabouts in China were you? So I was in Guangzhou, which okay. is about uh, about two hours on the on a bullet train from Hong Kong. So yeah. south of China. Yeah. Um, I think until you get there, you don't realise how big it is. You think, yeah. you know, going to Beijing from, say, Hong Kong might be like going to, you know, Birmingham, but it's not. You know, I never got to Beijing. That's, you know, I was there a year. I travelled a lot, but actually it's, it's, you know, so far from, from where you are. I remember my journey in was a flight to Shanghai. And whatever that is, that's an 11 hour flight. And then we got on an internal flight. This is my first ever trip mm -hmm. to Chongqing. Right, okay. Which is right in the middle of China. And yeah. it was a four or five hour flight. Yeah. You're thinking, how, how can this be so bad? How can I then only yeah. be halfway then you through? Then you get the vastness of it. Yeah, it is. It, 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 it's, 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 yeah, it's a huge place. And I managed yeah. to travel and have some sort of great experiences there. But, you know, the, as I said, the whole experience just hugely opened my eyes to the world. Um, I made some, you know, great friends there. And of course, you know, that's where I started, you know, what would be then my, my first business. Yeah. Well, let's lead into that. So what was that first business then? So uh, it was a company called Travel and Earn uh, Recruitment, which I've seen, uh, ironically, I've just celebrated my sixth year anniversary on LinkedIn, which probably I should amend that because, you know, the company no longer exists and people are congratulating me and I'm like, thank you. But, <laughs> but actually, you know, we've sort of put that on the shelf. But anyway, so essentially to get a position in, in a country like China, to get it anywhere, especially on a TEFL basis, um, generally you, you go through almost like a third, an agency essentially, let's call it an agency. I always call it broker, but it's not really. It's an agency, okay. right, who source people. They interview clients, um, you know, like people that potentially like go and travel. And then if they're suitable, then they place them in a school. They're normally okay. based in that country. They would place them in a school um, and then they would get a commission for that. So I was like, well, actually, the, the people that I dealt with that got me to China, they didn't really do much. You know, I, yeah. I remember looking back at their website and OK, and that was it. And I remember actually what, what they did. It was a brief sort of Skype interview. And I remember thinking, oh, well, I wonder how much like they get like paid yeah. for this, you know. And so, I, I, so there was one of the sort of ops ladies in the agency and I still had dealing, dealings with them when I was there. And I remember sort of asking, oh, you know, do you know roughly what you get every time you bring someone over? Um, and I think it was about 5,000 RMB, which is about, it's about 10 to one, let's say. So, it, you know, yeah. it was then, I'm, I don't check the rate now, but um, let's say 500 quid, right? Yeah. And I remember thinking 500 quid and, you know, and it was a Skype interview and so, and I was like, oh, hey, hold on a minute. I could build this, you know, I could build this website and, and we could recruit people. You know, I've been there, you know, I understand I was in a corporate world. I left it, um, you know, I went and I've had this amazing adventure and it would be so easy to convince lots of other people. And every time I convince someone, I get paid 500 pounds, you know, why would I not do that? Um, yeah, 
and there turns out to be a lot more to business than just you know build, build the archival <laughs> than a Skype call. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Than a Skype call. Yeah. yeah, the Field of Dreams model that one isn't it? it, it build it, it is, and yeah. they will come. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So 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 I so. So fundamentally, you know, I went from there. So I was like, okay, right, I, I need to first of all um, actually see if the school I'm teaching at, say for example, if I found someone for them, would you know, would they, would they engage? Me? Yeah, would they enga engage? So I, I put together a, a really brief PowerPoint presentation and dragged some nice Google images in and and put my sort of story and my journey on there. It was three or four pages and arranged an informal meeting and, and basically sat down and said, hey, look, if I find people, will you pay me? You know, that seems like a fairly like simple, you know. And, sustainable business model and they said yeah absolutely if you find people they're good there's no reason why we won't give you you know that money um and you know it kind of went from there um and okay. you know and what happened and what happened so um i got off and running we built a nice website we come up this, with this is name. while you're in china still. this is while i'm in china yeah still yeah. so we, we come up with this cool name travel and earn and we got this really great logo designed uh by fiverr which if you're starting out in business by the way is an unbelievable tool great website to be able to utilize professionals at a really low cost five yeah fiverr.com um, but we got this great um, logo that was like a passport stamp. It had travel and earning. You stamp that. That was our logo. And this is wicked. And, and you know, and I remember thinking, you know, this can't fail. Um, and As we all do when we start a business. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, you know, it wasn't really like I didn't really consider the failure. It was just like this was working. At the time, I was still teaching. So I had income. So it wasn't really, you know, um, about the money. It was just sort of something that, okay, you know, I'd always wanted to, you know, run a business. And maybe we can touch on that in a bit. And be like, this is it. You know, this is going to be my business. I'm, I'm finally going to start my own business and, and, and built a website um, and started, you know, then actively looking. So there was various sites where you could um, advertise yourself as an agency. Um, Dave's ESL is like probably the, you know, the sort of like yeah. the front runner for this. But you could basically advertise like we're looking for native speakers um, to come and teach in China, um, get in touch, you know, Adam at, you know, travelandand.co.uk. And we started doing that. And we weren't getting traction. People weren't really ringing. And the ones we would, we would spend time, you know, Skyping, you know, and interviewing them. And then they would drop off, you know, the nervousness. It might have been that sort of dip your toe in the water. Could I go and teach in China? You know, yeah. so that inquisitive the nature of people to think, yeah. Yeah, so without delving are. into it too much, you know, over probably a year period of time, um, in the meantime, I'd come back to the UK. Right, so, so it was just a year to be in China. That was the plan, was it? That, that was experience right. experience some adventure, do something different have a year out exactly I, I still had responsibilities here you okay. know and, and and I had to sort of you know come back and, and I miss my family I'm a big family man so a year was actually um and enough for me I've got many friends who I made there that are still out there it's an unbelievable way of life really you know you sort of very comfortable lifestyle yeah. I mean you have a nice flat you'd have a cleaner and all these things that most people can't afford in the UK yeah. so I can see why they stayed there but for me it was I'd got what I want from the experience and I was sort of ready to come home um, you know, so at that point I did and I was like, I'll come back and I'll, you know, and I'll grow this traveling, travel and earn empire. And, and I really struggled. You know, I had a, a business partner come on board. So someone that I had met in China who was like, you know, this is a really great sort of idea you've got. Um, but he he lived up towards London. Um, okay. So we were having to meet, you know, we were meeting places like Winchester, um, but it was only sort of once a week. He was working. He had bills to pay. Um, you know, and we just started hitting real, real sort of roadblocks. Um, and, you know, and, and as I said, that initial lack of planning or lack of, you know, you know, one year, three year, five year plan, the, the fundamentals I'd read about for 10 years, you know, various books, yeah. like I, I ignored and got, you know, I was sort of emotionally and passionately led by the idea. So the entrepreneurial spirit kicked in, but without the planning that needs to go with it exactly that so you so I, you know in that respect you know retrospectively I, I would have changed that and obviously i did go on to change that you know with with sort of we move yeah. it as an example but so so i was back here and i was trying to run that um and, and gradually we were finding more and more for you not only getting hard to hard to find people that yeah. didn't cost us we had huge issues with with the website because of course the website was our business really people would go on there they would see the jobs advertised they'd get a feel for us they would interact with us we didn't have a shop somewhere where people could see uh, that was our business and and the, the, probably the the huge flaw of this was that neither me nor my business partner were developers and i never considered that right so i was like we built the website and we got it built but actually you know we had to develop it that was a huge part of it um you know and every time we wanted to tweak even the slightest bit we had to pay someone to it do it. Cost it, it was a cost, and, and that, that sounds. I sit here now and I think, 
idiot, you know? And I don't actually think I'm an idiot, but actually you look at it now and think, how did I never consider that? But that's sometimes I think the case, isn't it, with new business? It's, it's that passion to just get started. It's so when the passion kicks in and we forget about some of the fundamentals. Yeah, we? we do, yeah. So low point or, you know, that business starts to fail, you know it's not going to work. How long did you persevere with it? And, um, and at what point did you go, actually, enough's enough? Yeah, hugely low point, like, I, I feel probably, to be honest. Yeah. So I was now um, early 30s. Um, yeah. You know, I'd, I, I, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you had this career and you had this, you know, you had this, um, you know, life, you know, and then you've gone away and that was great. And everyone thought, oh, yeah, that was cool. Adam went yeah. to China, et cetera. Um, and then the reality was I come back and because we were struggling to gain momentum, I had to pay my bills. So I had to, you know, I couldn't get a job. I didn't want to get a job back in the corporate world of financial services. So I was like, you know, I'll just do some laboring. You know, I will get a job on a, on a building site. And I am terrible with my hands <laughs> in that respect. So, so you know, the, I remember telling my mum and dad and they were like, what? You're like, what, are you, what do you think you're going to do on a, on a building site? And, and my friends, you know, were, were laughing at me, but I was like, that's, you know, I can go in and uh, basically an entry level and do a bit of work a couple of days a week. Um, and that would sort of pay my bills whilst I worked on this business. Okay. But as I moved towards this bit point in which I knew the business wasn't going to work out, it was that sort of, what do I do now? You know, I've given up my career. I don't really feel like any part of me wants to go back and yeah. start sitting behind an office and working, you know, at LV or any of the other big corporates as great as LV was, it was, a, you know, it was a great employer and I, you know, but, but that was hard. You know, I was kind of like, it was like, it was that sort of what next, what am I going to do now? You know, I, can I not run a business? I, I've done this one and it's not worked out yeah. and I might have some lessons, but I don't think I could see the lessons until now I can look back and see the lessons. But at the time it felt just like failure. And I'm not sure in the UK we're that supportive, are we, of those that, no, absolutely sort of not. Fail or, or don't succeed, or the first opportunity doesn't go as planned. Yeah, and I think we should have more of a supportive culture, haven't we? But I think people feel quite isolated when that happens to them. They do. They don't know where you know where to turn or or what to do. You know, they don't know necessarily because they're so often caught up in just running their business. They don't know about things like peer groups yeah. or even to a certain extent, you know, the networking they might have done. They might have made some you know, good contacts where they could have, you know, had someone to, to lean on or talk to. And it can be, you know, it can be quite like isolating. It's um, the power of a mentor, but sometimes we don't understand that. No, you know, we don't. Somebody to lean on, somebody just to talk to, somebody that's been there, done it. Yeah, yeah. Seen it, but in, I remember starting off at Inspire and didn't have that individual really. And it was only by chance got talking to people and then started to lean on them. But it can be really lonely, can't it? Yeah, it can. It's early it. years. Absolutely. And even I had a business partner, I think that certainly didn't help that he was so, you know, he was so far away in London. So we weren't together. We didn't have that, you know, that energy where we'd come in in the morning, you, you know, and you'd be next to each other and you'd be like, right, let's smash this out. Because the small meetings we did have, like the, the amount of momentum we'd get then in like five hours in Winchester would be incredible. Yeah. But the logistics of it just didn't work. He had a job, you know, in London. He had a family to support. He then um, went on to have a, a baby or, you know, say he was going to have a baby at the point at which we said, look, we can't continue, you know, running this business. It's not making any money. Um, you know, he was like, I've got to go back to sort of work full time, which I totally understood. And ultimately that's the point at which I was like, okay, we need to probably shelf, you know, shelf yeah. travel and earn. Oh dear. Yeah, absolutely. And as I said at the time, certainly I feel like a failure. And people, I feel like in business, you see so many quotes and stuff and you'll see them, you know, uh, you know, on LinkedIn and stuff. It's like, never use the word failure. And I'm like, I want no problem with using the word failure. Um, failure doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's a, it's a negative connotation we attach to. As long to, as we like, learn from it. It's like anything in life, isn't it? It's things don't go to plan personally or in business or whatever you do. Yeah. As long as you learn from that experience. Exactly. That, that is a key point, right? It's like, okay, and if I mention failure, people go, yeah, but you didn't fail. And I'm like, yeah, but I did because I didn't make any money and it wasn't a sustainable business. So that's, you know, by definition, you could you could say failure. But as I say, I don't see the failure in any way as a bad thing now. I look back on it and go, yeah, I, I did learn. Okay. And you had that kind of piece of experience in corporate life. You've touched on it. You didn't want to go back into a job, paid employment, corporate world. What do you think, drives that independence in your that spirit to do your own thing and will come on to where you are now but i'd just like to diverse slightly into that kind of area and just explore yeah i i think it's a common trait of business owners right i don't know if you'd agree with that from you know the hundreds of people that that you yeah. probably know through business it's such a common trait um is it you know environmental or social i i don't necessarily know i think i always had those traits so i've been meaning for the last few years to write uh write a blog because i spent sort of 10 years 
of what I call theory, and this was reading business books, you know, your Richard Branson books and, and stuff and sort of like studying about business. Um, then it would be called 10 years of theory, two years of practical. And it was like my first two years of business and how actually the you know, difference between the two, you can ten, spend 10 years almost studying it inadvertently in your spare time, um, but actually the practical app- application. But, but you know, where it's come from, my my, my, my family doesn't necessarily have the same entrepreneurial spirit you know they, they were workers they all work you know incredibly hard um but I had no you know mentor at home um or anything like that so it's, it's probably quite you know it, it's quite strange to look back on now and, and think where did you know where did that come from I think I always had a desire to you know like Alex Shepard said to be the best you can sort of be you know and although it sounds a bit sort of you know, fluffy it was almost like right if we're going to do something if we're going to play a board game in the family I want to win this okay. you know if I'm playing a game of football I want to you know I want to be the, the best player on the team and it was like I think that sense of competitive spirit yeah yeah which we talked about briefly for the podcast and you know, Alex yeah. Shepard and I didn't know who he was you know and I've been playing football with him for the last two years and until I listened to his podcast and checked out you know Kids Love Nature website I hadn't even played with him but I, I see it now you know out of all the 12 people uh, none of which I really knew anything about off the football pitch you can see Alex out of all of them we just wanted to win we would turn up and he would if he's on your team this is great because Alex is going to like drive the team forward and and I think yeah as I say that's such a you know a key part of it but but I, for me personally like I, I I genuinely probably couldn't say where that you know where that okay. came from so worked in a call center mm-hmm. worked in risk and management in corporate life exciting teached English in China ran a kind of your own business mm-hmm. and then you start a moving company. Yeah. And it seems like a natural transition when you say it like <laughs> yeah, that. It's a natural <laughs> step, isn't it? People so would guess, th- people listening that don't know, probably as you were going through them, thought, I bet removal company's coming next. That it's seems coming, like isn't it? Removal's next. So w- w- tell us about the transition then. Working on a construction site to make the ends meet and then yeah so it's a you know fu- funny story really. So I was working on the, the construction site and whilst I hadn't shut traveling uh, traveling and down at the time I kind of knew hey this is probably not going to work out um, I absolutely hated being on the building site and I uh, hated the fact that I was useless at it and I'm very conscious that like I'm rubbish at this and although I'm not getting paid loads and I'm not getting loads of hours still I'm not doing a great job and you know and in the same part of me I was like hey I've got these all these skills and I've worked you know in the corporate world and that and I'd learned some basic business skills from starting traveling and um, and then one day we were we were digging, you know, in this back garden and, you know, the foreman was talking to, to one of the chaps and he said, oh, we need to get rid of all this uh, rubbish. We need to clear the, you know, clear all this. And he goes, oh, I've got a mate with a van who'll come along and do that. He said, you know, he'll come and take it all away from you. And he sort of said, oh, well, how much is that going to be? He said, oh, probably about 250 quid. And uh, he said, oh, great. Yeah, get him, get, get him to come and do it. And I sort of stood there for a minute. I'm digging away. Thinking, you know, and, and there was this sort of like, I wouldn't call it a light bulb moment, but there was this moment where I was like, well, hold on a minute. So I'm sort of, you know, digging here all day, you know, not digging well, you know, by, by my <laughs> yeah. own admission um, and getting paid, you know, you know, sort of 50, 60 quid, which was about, you know, probably vastly overpaid for the work I was, you know, for my output. But I was like, had a van. I was like, okay, well, you would take that to the waste clearance. What's that? What are they going to charge him? I think I might have looked on my phone briefly, uh, you know, cost clearance, you know. I think so what, so it's going to cost him 70 quid to get rid of this. And, you know, he's probably going to be a half an hour, stick it in his van and take it down there. I remember thinking, oh, that's a, that's a neat little idea. And, 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 and I saw my parents late that evening and I went in and I said, I'm going to start a man and van. I said, just on the side, but that is going to pay my bills whilst I build Traveling Anne. Okay. And they went, oh, Adam. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Whatever, Adam. Yeah. As a child, I think I was very much like that. You know, I'm going to build a rocket and go to the moon. And, and, and they, okay. Like, yeah. And, and about, it must have been less than two weeks later. I remember going up to Southampton, uh, you know, with my dad there and, and, and we, we bought a little van. Um, but, you know, funnily, it was, it was only ever a side project. So the idea of a man and van, you know, I'd done some basic research and thought, okay, there's no entry level. There's no accreditation needed. You can just buy a van and be a man and van. Part of the problem that, you know, affects my bottom line now owning a sort of removal company. Not that there's loads of difference, but yeah. you know, that no entry level. But anyway, I was like, this should be quite simple. So so I went out and, and bought a little van and my brother had had some experience in removals. Okay. So I was like, okay, great. Well you can come in. You know, he was sort of like in between jobs. So like this you know, th- this could work. Um, we can pick and choose when we do the jobs. I can spend all my spare time working on Travel Earn and build this, you know, like yeah. fan- fan- fantastic business. Um, so that that's really where it all started, okay. that transition. So, you know, really 
by chance, some would say, if I'd not had that conversation, you know, it, it might never have materialized. Wow. I know. So we're now a few years on. Business is called We Move. Mm-hmm. So how did the transition come from being a man in a van to running a sort of removal business? So um, as we've talked about, you know, the Traveller Nam was on its way out, you know, and I say that and I kind of knew it, you know, in my heart, but I, you know, there was this, as I said, this like, like belief that, okay, maybe I'll, so maybe I'll find a way to make this work. Um, but I knew it was on its way out. And, and it was this sort of almost tipping point where that was on its way out. And, you know, the man and van, you know, I was like, actually, okay, this is, you know, this is, this is okay. And we, we started getting fairly busy and we, you know, we, we, we come in, as I said, you know, with, with no real experience and didn't really know much about the industry, but I quickly learned, um, you know, when I was, you know, uh, running them alongside. And then at the point at which I said, hey, actually, now I've got to, you know, I've got to put this traveler nan to bed um, that, you know, I was, it was about probably about a year sort of transition period when I was like, okay, man and van is, 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 is okay, but it's certainly not going to make us, you know, any, any real sort of money. It was a sideline money. And I was like, but actually I like inadvertently from running that I had started to see removal companies. I remember in the first few months, you know, rocking up and, you know, and they would probably, they would sort of snigger at you and, you know, cause you'd be the man of van, they would be in their slightly bigger truck and with a logo on, whereas ours was just plain and, but I, but I began to see them because they were sniggering at me, but I was kind of like, hey, this is a sideline project. And actually, like, how rubbish is that van? It's old. You know, the staff are overweight. Um, you know, they're not they're not protecting the customer's carpets. And we weren't doing these things because we were just a man and van. But I was starting to see, actually, the, the problems that, you know, that people might have finding a removal company that they could consider professional. Um, and it was only at that point, say, a year in, where that was almost like data collecting, but, you know, subconsciously, because I wasn't thinking that I was ever going to make anything of it. But a year in, when I was like, what do I do next? I'm not going back to the corporate world. You know, I, I've done as much as I can for now with Travel and and that's not working. And I sort of had this moment, I was like, hey, actually, we just need to make that sort of transition from what is a man and van, you know, that if you buy a sofa on Gumtree, you might get a, you know, a man and van into, to move it. Um, or if you had a small apartment, you know, and you just wanted a few of the large items moving to, to a, a full on removal company, you could come in, pack up your house, get everything prepared, ready to go, um, come in on move day, take away all your furniture and deliver it to your new house, you know, quite, you know, although they sound, you know, very similar and some people you know there is obviously you know a real close connection between the two fundamentally there is quite a big difference you know between that sort of man of van element and you know and the professional removal business yeah yeah Yeah, massively so did the transition happen slowly did it happen overnight you know what ignited that right gotta go and do it it was slow and and the reason why it was slow is because we talked you know a while back about this failure element and i had learned from the mistakes i had made with traveling there. Okay. So I was there and I was like, okay, I want to build this removal company. Um, but let's do this properly and let's actually do, you know, market research. And it's, it's, you know, I actually love that part of a business, you know, of yeah. starting a business now, but at the time, it, you know, I remember certainly with the traveler now and it was felt like admin and you know, it was kind of like, Oh, you know, that'll all work itself out, but actually some proper, proper market research and understanding removals companies, understanding the competition, understanding, you know, you know, who's local, who does things well, who could do things better, what could we do that would be totally different. Um, so there was a, a probably six months at least in between being this man of van, which was still running, and actually sort of starting to sort of almost soft launch this, you know, this we move entity and this removal company. Um, you know, there was a hell of a lot of planning that, that went into that. Um you know, and um, for example, so I talk, you know, it's a funny story about when I um, was trying to do my, my market research and trying to understand the competitor, like competitor analysis. And I was like, hey, I've got this idea. What I could do is I've got a friend that owns an estate agent. So what I can do is I can speak to them, get one of their for sale signs, stick it outside my mum and dad's house and then invite everyone, you know, from the local area to come and quote. And my mum and dad are busy, so I'm going to do the quotes, you know, but my mum and dad are moving. So, you know, I had this completely like, holistic look at what every other removal company's done from yeah. the point at which I rang. How did they treat me on the phone? What was their website like? Could I do it online or did I need to see someone? What their estimator was like, you know, what their documentation was like, um, you know, how, how expensive they were, what, what upsells they offered. Did they follow up the quote? Um, you know, and actually a terrible, terrible waste of time for them. And I, and I, you know, and, and I know that, um, and I've been sent on some erroneous ones since earning, I've gone in some and the questions they're asking and that I'm like, this person might be starting a removal company. 
and because I've been there, I'm like, you know, that's cool. You know, I'd never call them out on it. Um, but, but you know, I get that. You life, and it's great real life market research, isn't it? Competitor analysis, you know, right on your doorstep. Exactly that. And they, they featured, it's got featured by Darren Slade a couple of years back in the Echo. And, and you know, I'm not going to lie, one of the companies um, obviously saw it um, and, and whacked my name straight into their database and saw we come up. And uh, yeah, and, and was very mad at me on the phone, um, you know, and trying to charge me for estimate his time and that. Um, yeah, so, so, so ironically, although it was a great piece and great exposure, a bit of PR for us, and it did cause me a couple of like, yeah, <laughs> a couple, couple of, of moments. Long, angry conversations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but as you said, it's part of business, and to a certain extent, you have to do what's best for your company and you, what's, what's best to understand that. Um, so, yeah, so it was about sort of six months, you know, in answer to the question between that. And some of the questions we've, I've asked others is about how their industry is being disrupted. In your case, do you see you being the disruptor in your industry or do you still see the disruptions going to occur that you're going to have to roll with i think we i wouldn't necessarily consider us a disruptor i don't think we reinvented the wheel right removals is removals and to a certain extent you know there was only so much we could do that would fundamentally make us a difference and put us ahead of the competition we didn't we ha we don't now and i admit to we don't do anything you know like that way out there yeah. What I consider is, you know, and I almost call it like, uh, and you're probably familiar because of your cycling, uh, with marginal gains. Yeah. Right. And this idea of marginal gains. And I think it so absolutely fits with business, you know, and these small, you know, and for anyone that's not familiar with marginal gains, essentially it's this philosophy of, you know, the smallest minute detail, you know, an adjustment or an improvement can lead to a huge, you know, huge increase in results, right? That's the, the fundamentals yeah. of it. And and I feel like I believed with creating this we move that we didn't have to reinvent the wheel. We just had to do everything slightly better than everyone else. And that was sort of my, I guess, my attitude going into it. Okay, brilliant. And, and that attitude maintains... Is that the philosophy that runs through the business? It, it does, or yeah. How has it changed since the business has now grown and developed and more vans on the road and all of that, those kind of things? I, I think it does, you know, and and like we, we, I'm still such a big believer in that need to constantly improve. And I think that's something that people often overlook and it's probably to their detriment. Um, we had um, our sort of strategy day yesterday. Um, so me and my ops manager, we're not a big team, you know, we're not this huge, we haven't got like, like a huge workforce. Um, and actually people, for the size of the company and for, for what we do, you know, if I sit here and say strategy day, you almost probably can imagine some people listening and thinking, all right, mate, you know, you have a strategy day. But yeah, <laughs> but, but, but all it really is, you know, and it seems mental to have one. And I remember actually I'd sort of messaged my, my partner at lunchtime and said, yeah, I'm halfway through this sort of strategy. And she's like, well, what, like, what, you know, what are you changing or what are you even doing? And I said, I'll, I'll explain later. Um, but, you know, we, we do it every year. And, and, and honestly, we sit down and, and, and I break apart every part of the business, you know, and, and I say, is it still the best way of working? Is there anyone doing anything different? What should we do in different? Is it currently efficient? Is it lean? And we look at that. And I look at yesterday, it was about five hours, just sat in the office. Um, and the the improvements, I'm so, like, like excited about the improvements we're going to make and there's small little differences but i'm like hey this is going to make you know this is going to make a huge difference here or this is going to make a huge difference there so how do you now make those happen because I, i've you know talked to a lot of business owners and even myself some now and again you you talk to somebody you get a great idea but it's actually the great idea isn't what's going to make the difference is it it's how you implement it's, it's, those ideas so what's your process now of taking those thoughts from yesterday and changing we move accordingly so I, I think a lot of it's accountability. So for a start, yeah. what we do is off the strategy, we go, right, this, this, this needs to be done. And then we almost split it. It's not necessarily about, um, you know, 50-50, but it's about who's going to be accountable for making that change happen, right? So we, we look at it and go, right, okay, um, you know, for example. So I'll give you an example that's probably a better thing. So with our sales calls, right, when someone calls through um, and, 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 you know, I'm looking to get a, a quotation, um, you know, I, I felt like the current process, um, it didn't necessarily screen out either the time wasters or people that wouldn't necessarily be, um, you know, wouldn't be a good fit for us. And, and ultimately, we, it was 
cost then time and money with myself or Helen going out and quoting and visiting um, and it might be a date we can't do and I sit in the house and go okay so you're moving they go yeah it's this date and I'm thinking in my head we can't even do that date how have we even got to this we have even got to this point um, or you know we get there and I sit down and they say right well I tell you now I'm not going to spend more than 200 pound it's a four bedroom house knowing that it's going to be 1500 pound um, you know so so anyway so we looked at it and I said this needs to change and we need to have a better you know I call it a script and I'm conscious of that when I said to Helen yesterday he said don't think of it as a script but we'll call it a script for now right you're not going to follow this but this is our guideline that every time someone calls you're using this script and we have one but it wasn't fit for purpose right so long or short of it I said we need to break this up and we need to have this introduction bit and I'm going to split it into three sections and we need this introduction which we're going to call the screening and then we're going to have the middle bit which is almost going to be the admin you yeah. know where they've passed the screening they could suitable customer you know for us the middle bit is the admin let's take some basic details and then an outcome so an outcome is it not for us um and and we both agreed that that would fundamentally be something that I should definitely write you know I've, I've got the clear idea of what it should be and then that's my outcome so, so that's my outcome and I now have that task which I which I'll which I'll be working on at the, the beginning of next week so I blocked out the time right to make these changes I mean do you time frame all of those actions as well I'm not great for time frames. That's one thing, as you're saying, I think I could lie here. You know, in my mind, I'm thinking I could just say, yeah, I've set two weeks in it. You know, that's something where, you know, which is not like, you know, so definitely not my... in which you can improve that process. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, those actions and becoming truly accountable. Yeah, and I know we touched on that on our Evolve meeting, you know, and that, that makes such a thing. And I know some of we all set outcomes in, you know, in, in the Evolve peer group. Um, and that was such a huge part of it. It's like, okay, well, when and where and how are we going to measure this? And, and certainly, you know, it was a good takeaway on that day. But, but, but now you mentioned it you know that's something that i could certainly you know probably if you ask me near the end of the podcast what might you know what might be one of my downfalls um but you know on that note i i feel like the the processes the process part of a business many many ignore um i think i I got lucky that I'd read uh, the E Myth by Michael Gerber yeah. early on years before I even ran a business um, and it's almost this like philosophy of build a business like you're going to build a like franchise right so I built we move and, and everything that went into WeMove was like I'm going to set up 50 WeMoves in the UK. Yeah. And I don't think I necessarily ever entertained the idea or wanted to do that, but I therefore built the business to be so operationally sound that, you know, we weren't repeating tasks and things were efficient. And that, I think, was a huge part of, you know, us being able to grow, you know, we're sort of, you know, three and a, three and a half year, years old now, and we've yeah. been able to grow quite steadily, you know, revenue in vans and, you know, and the amount of customers we can, you know, we can serve in a year. Um, and a lot of that is down to, you know, the operational side, which can be easily overlooked, I think, right, when you're starting a business. Yeah. So one of your, yes, and on that operational side, one, and challenges of growth is you must have a very seasonal business and demand for your services, even as sort of peaks and troughs within Monday to Friday. Yeah, resourcing is, is massively, um, you know, our, our biggest headache is really, really tough so not only is it seasonal yet everyone wants to move in the summer there's certain spikes um you know just before christmas um, um and on that note your data analysis is so important as a small business because uh, i was because i was always quite big on the data and we will mark and we will track everything and it will be in a spreadsheet and actually i'm taking credit for that but helen who joined me um you know very early stages of the business and to be sort of my ops manager was a huge part of that um you know sort of that data collection but that allowed us that allowed us now to have the data and be able to look at, okay, when can we expect to be busy? Um, but yeah, seasonality is a huge one. And also from a resource perspective, we all know if I said to you, you're moving, what day are you going to move? It's going to be a Friday for most people. Um, and I could have five times as many people working every Friday, but then would really struggle to, to find them work on a Tuesday or Wednesday, okay. for example. Um, so you kind of live or die by your ability to expand and contract in, in the removals world. You know, that's a, that's a real challenge. And is diversification the other solution? Is that something you thought about? You know, what do you do with those? Yep. That labour. I had the amount of times I told my guys within a few months, you're going to be cleaning carpets. And they're like, you know, we don't want to do it. And I'm like, yeah, but actually it would fit in nicely because yep. it's a obvious upsell. People are either moving out, so they need to clean the carpets from a rental deposit perspective. People are moving in. Lovely new carpets. Have you thought about getting them, um, you know, cleaned? Um, you know, and, and, and that was something, you know, for example, just one of the many ideas I've had that we thought we could execute. And, you know, they would be much more flexible than moving. They wouldn't need to have their carpets cleaned on a Friday. Um, so, yeah. I think diversification is, is, is the key, you know. So you found a passion for the removal industry. 
Yeah, I think I have, you know, like I, I think now, you know, if I combine it with the time for man advance of sort of five years in, um, do I think I'll be in removals forever? No, like, you know, I'm not that passionate about it. I think, you know, I'm passionate about business and, and removals give me the great vehicle to do that. I saw it as a industry that is old fashioned, outdated. You know, there was almost this stigma attached to it of, you know, a beat out old transit van with a couple of like beer belly men. They're going to you know show up and lug your furniture around. And, and I felt like I could create something different um and i feel like i have you know and we've 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 certainly grown to a point which i'm sort of happy with now um so i, I certainly have a passion for it in that it's been my first almost like relative success right. but i certainly don't you know you know I, I don't see myself like you know being in removals till i retire does this mean that you got your eye open for other opportunities or is this still focused on we move at the moment yeah so so i am yeah and i think that for the last year that i, I really struggled with that because you know I was running We Move and we had sort of grown and grown. And we got to a certain point, I was like, almost like put the brakes on a bit. I was like, okay. Um, we had done some benchmarking with the accountant and looked at you know, bigger firms. And I sort of went, okay, well, I could, I had the confidence in myself that I could double, you know, the revenue. And people focus far too much on revenue. But, you know, like it was like I could do twice as much work. Let's say that, you know, take revenue out and say t- twice as much work, but I ain't going to get anywhere near twice as much, you know, on my bottom line. So actually, what would be the point of that? I'm not passionate enough about it, you know, to feel like that's what I want to do. Um, and, you know, and, and and it kind of, it was almost like we had grown past where I planned to grow within, say, a five-year period. And I kind of felt, um, you know, a bit, you know, dissatisfied. And, you know, I kind of felt a bit, not necessarily lost, but I certainly had, you know, if you ask my partner, you know, she would, you know, she would sort of tell you that I kind of felt frustrated at times. So I was like, okay, well, this is it then for we move. Um, and traditionally, you you either grow a business and you kind of want to be involved in that business. And, and most people at that point would say, okay, great, you know, I can sustain this. I'll have a you know fairly decent income. I'll be comfortable, and I can, you know, probably easily we're going to get some bumps, you know, uh, you know, some highs and some lows, but this could be me now until I retire. And that is awesome. There's no problem with that, but I don't think I was, you know, that wasn't it for me. 35. You're not at that place. No, so. no, that's it. And, you know, I didn't feel steady and I kind of, you know, um, this, this idea of being able to continue to grow, grow something, you know, much larger and grander, you know, was, was always sort of like something I felt like I had in me. Um, and, and as such, it was only the last few months, I think when I started being honest with myself, um, you know, and, and, and honest with my partner, you know, because to a certain extent, does it mean going back to the drawing board? Because we got to this point and it was like the first two years, it was like, okay, we'll just rent a little one bedroom flat and we won't spend, you know, we won't spend anything. And last year we had a couple of really nice holidays and, and I'm not lavish in any respects, but we started to enjoy a little bit of the money. Yeah. And then she hears me talking about, okay, well, maybe there's someone else I want to do and almost just start again. I feel like I see this fear in her eyes uh, <laughs> that, oh, here we go again. Adam's going to, you know, take any money he's made and he's going to reinvest it and we're going to be, you know, sort of like back that point. But, you know, I guess that's why she loves me. She's part of the journey and she's, you know, my biggest supporter. And, and I think, you know, you know it's so important to have that person behind you. That's it is. That yeah, you, massively. That you can turn to. So I, what is next for Adam then? Like, so I when I, I, if we look, you know, let's not do a five-year typical question, but even in 24 months, where do you see yourself? I feel like I will 100% have another business running. Um, okay. Like I'm very sort of focused on that, quite what it is. I've had, you know, even this this year already, you know, we, as I said, I didn't come back till, you know, say the, the, the 3rd of, of January, um, but I've had two meetings with different people on totally different business ideas. Um, and, you know, they both might work out, one might work out, you know, who knows? But on the same hand, you know, I'm, I'm energised by it. I'm excited. I think if I'm honest, my, my focus is on building a much more scalable business. Um, I never understood you know, probably still a lot of it I don't understand, but you know, the the scalability factor of running a business, you know, and I went into WeMove thinking, well, maybe I could grow it to a certain size, but but obviously, you know, I know now that service industries are no, notably hard to scale because, you know, Scaling if I need really two, tough. yeah, if I need, you know, three staff for, for every customer, then for 10 customers, I need 30 staff. Which is which is a problem, right? You know, like on the on the downtimes, we talked about seasonality and that. Whereas, as an example, a website-based business where you know, you know, for one, you know, you might have a couple of staff maintaining a website for one person, but actually, you wouldn't need any more than that two staff if that website catered for a hundred people. Yeah. Um, so, I, I feel like you know that there's something care. else that's a scaling the business you can scale, but scale is, as you've just said, is really tough. And most businesses don't get past that. I think 
the statistic is really scary that really the proportion of businesses that employ 10 or more people in the UK is mm-hmm. very, very small. Yeah, I can imagine. But the UK has got one of the highest startup rates in the world. Really? But those that then go to scale is really, really small. And, one, and we're well down the league tables yeah. on scaling. So scaling is tough, you're right. Yeah, and I can see that. And I, and I, and I sort of, you know, I, I think I have much bigger appreciation for that now. But also, you know, as I said, I feel almost like... Um, reinvigorated by this concept of being able to put myself out there again in the next year or two knowing that you know because i was pretty you know good with building you know we move as a you know operationally you know sound business um it doesn't take up all of my time i'm still a big part of the business so i'm not sitting here now saying oh, it runs itself but i can go off for you know have a two-week holiday and it runs um you know i could i can have a couple of days where i said right i'm going to be not here, not present doing something else and if you need me get me but other than that and, and that and, and that time I have spare allows me to be able to sort of put my you know put my sort of efforts into something that I know will be potentially be you know the, the, you know the, so my five or ten years just to start to round up some sort of more quick fire questions how do you define success God um I feel like I think it was you know all of the the podcasts and I've listened to them all and they all kind of had a similar you know take on this and it was interesting I think very similar to mine like I don't think um i think you'd be the exception not the rule if you built a really successful business to have money and by that i mean if your aim is to i need to start a really successful business to have a ferrari or to have a big house i feel like if that's a primary driver then you know it's going to be a real struggle i'm not saying it's not achievable but i feel you know personally like that can't ever be the driver it's never been the driver for me you know um you know i have sort of like you know ambitions to build something much bigger say than we move but it's not about building something bigger so i can you know buy a bigger house or have a nicer car or go on nicer holidays it's not the the driver so I, when i talk about sort of personal success i think it's contentment um you know i do a lot of work alongside you know the business work on personal and self-development um hopefully more so you know i've been speaking to becky on linkedin following the podcast you know maybe even more so you know development uh, on okay. you know on the the personal thing but it's it's that happiness and contentness you know are you waking up and actually you know engaged by what you're doing and enjoy it or is it a struggle because i feel like the reason i got out of the corporate world because i was waking up every day and i wasn't going in miserable but i wasn't enjoying it yeah and when i talk to anyone now that doesn't enjoy what they do you know, I can be a bit of a preacher on this and I'll be like, why are you doing, like no one is forcing you in the morning of a gun to your head, making you go in and work that way you're working. So why not like make a positive change? So for me, I guess it's getting to that point, you know, of, of contentment with what I do and waking up, um, you know, and, and, you know, having this business, I'm like, hey, this is, you know, this is where I'm like, this is where I've always wanted to be. So, and which is a great answer and life is too short to spend it miserable. Mm-hmm. So yeah, go follow a passion. Yeah. And, and actually, even in, in an employed world, you know, go find that employer, go find that job where you feel you fit and you wake up in the morning with yeah, nine Anything. times out of ten with a smile on your face. Yeah, yeah, uh, because it doesn't have to be. It doesn't mean going and starting a business. It can be employed. You know, I'm sure you've got countless em- employees inspired that in- engage and love what they do. And it might be that they want to progress or, you know, it might be that you want to you know, change that dynamic. But there's so many people. It's like that fear, you know, that fear of change we we have as humans you know that I, I think i read something once like you know we, we we fear change but the only thing that's constant is change you know things I, around I us constantly one of the changing. things that i'd always try and um whether i'm succeeding or not is with our two girls is actually one of the things if they cannot fear change in life then that would be a great place to be because Absolutely. i think as humans we inevitably resist change and I think those that succeed in life embrace change they do yeah and, that, and in, in whatever walk of life and whatever you do you've got to be able to embrace change particularly in this dynamic world in which we're now living we do yeah and I, I think you're right so, so many people see it as a negative but if you're the one that's able to see it okay change and that okay that like I'm going to miss that element of it but actually this is a real positive and I'm going to put my sort of focus into that that sort of slight shift in in mindset you know whether it, you know as you said whether it's in personal or you know work related change I, I think does separate a lot of the people from go on to not only be you know, successful but be happy which yeah. which should tie in definitely so what tough thing are you not doing enough of right now what tough thing am I not doing enough of right now? Um, I feel like it's hard. Like so, right now, you know, like I, as I said, because I'm going back to basics. I'm like, right, I'm still running We Move, and although I say I'm not always involved actively every day to day, it's still a huge part of making sure it, you know it runs 
it runs smoothly. Um, but then I'm also entertaining several business, you know, business ideas. And, uh, you know, I've wanted to lose a stone um, in January. You know, it's just like goal setting thing of like, I can't just lose a stone. I'll be like, I lose a stone in January. Um, but, I, but I feel like getting that work-life balance when you're in those when you're in those periods is is really tough um, and it's trying trying to be mindful of that trying to be mindful of the time i spend you know with my partner or with my family that i am present um yeah. a big part of that is is phone social media and you know i go on about this a lot but um you know as a quick sort of note i had so i had 10 days off over christmas right and i got dropped back we went to stay at uh, uh, the mother-in-law's and i got dropped back and my partner had to work over christmas she works in retail so she had to work but she dropped me back on my first day proper holiday and I remember spending the first sort of half an hour on Facebook on the app and uh, and I, I come off it and I sort of said to myself, if I don't do something, I've got 10 days off and I'm going to spend a couple of hours a day on Facebook. And this this is not a good For use of my benefit? time. For yeah. what benefit? Yeah, absolutely. Why am I getting out of it? And, you know, and it was such a small change, but I deleted the app and, and, and I've done it before, but I but I've done it this time. And, and I found that the engagement level. So the app is built like most good apps to totally engage you, to immerse you, to hook you in. Um, but actually, if I were to check it, so I haven't come off Facebook, but I've, I check it on Safari and within minutes, because it's so clunky, you lose interest. Yeah. Um, and that was a conscious decision to to delete that. Um, and and it was the change was dramatic over those course of 10 days and we can use screen time now to monitor obviously on the phone to monitor and i found in that some days i didn't check it some days was 10 minutes yesterday i got into bed with my partner she said oh did you see that she said a really hilarious clip of like mrs doubtfire impression i said no i said i haven't been on it and i'm filling that time with you know with much more positive you know much more which i consider you know positive and you know developing whether i you know whether i'm sat you know, for, for 10 minutes, I'm reading a book or, you know, I'm, you know, or doing something constructive, but it's those sort of changes. So, so as I say, in answer to the question, it's making sure that, you know, that, that I'm present when I am there, that my phone, that my phone's off, that I'm not thinking about work, that I'm not checking my emails, that, that I'm actually sort of enjoying present that in time. The moment. Yeah, 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 massively. And let's just round up then, what's been your most satisfying moment in business, which is what has been your kind of aha kind of moment that moment where you thought i've got somewhere towards where i want to be if not fully there i think when we um when we got our couple of months ago we celebrated our third sort of year um you know as as as, as we move um and you know and, and it come up by chance on, on an email um you know and i went home and it happened to be out for dinner that evening with my partner and there was this kind of like moment where i said like do you know what we've made three years um you know and and it actually tied in with with our, our getting our set of company accounts um you know which had like you know proved like positive positive reading which is always a you know a, a good thing and it was like you know when i look back at you know that first year a year and a half two years with travel and earn and you know all that had gone wrong and to that point where i'd you know working on this building so i'm thinking i could really just give up now and by give up I don't mean you know end it or I mean probably go back and do a job that I didn't want to do and you know and that element of perseverance that pushed me to continue you know to continue like working on this passion of mine which was you know starting and running a business and you know three years for me you know they say a lot of you know I don't know the statistic but a lot of don't make it past the first year right yeah. so for three years for me was a real like a real precious moment I felt like yeah actually you know, I can do this and it gave me the confidence, I guess, when we talk about, you know, my future plans, that confidence in myself to to, to be able to push on and, and, and build whatever business I choose to, you know, choose to do next. Brilliant, Adam. So if people want to find out more about you or more about WeMove, where can they find some more details? So uh, WeMove, you want to go wemovesouth.co.uk, but we're on all the good, um, we're on all the good socials. Um, we're, we're on Checker Trade, we're on which you can find us out there. If you're moving, then do just give us a chance. We would love the chance to quote on a personal level of you want to connect then linkedin would be the best option because facebook i won't see it and you know i won't accept it because i'm off that you know you're done <laughs> <laughs> i'm done social media 2020 brilliant thank yeah. you for your time today adam thank you so much for having us down thank you i hope you'll agree it was great to hear adam's openness and honesty about his journey and provides us all with that reminder that we can't always succeed but it is how you react and what you do next that is really important. It was also obvious that Adam had also learned lessons from his initial business 
and did things differently with positive consequences in the launch of WeMoo. It reminds me of that quote from Dick Costello, CEO of Twitter. Timing, perseverance, and 10 years of trying will make you look like an overnight success. How true that is. From my own personal journey, I know that in life and in business, we all go through challenging times. But it's how we deal with those times and how we react to them and how we take the lessons from them that are really important. If you want access to further insightful content and inspiration, then please do go to evolvemembers.com. Register as a member for free to get access to the Evolve community. I really do hope you've enjoyed this episode and look forward to you joining me again next week. And if you haven't already, please do go to iTunes or Spotify and please do subscribe to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thank you.